0: Thank you, you guys can be seated. So good to see each and every one of you. Good morning to you. How many parents in the room are glad that spring break is over tomorrow? Anybody? Get some amens and hallelujahs. Some of the teachers are off in the corner crying right now as a result of spring break being over, right? Well, I hope you had a great week. Uh, My name is Kyle. We're so glad each and every one of you are here. Uh, today, our plan, if it's okay with you, is we're going to talk about joy. Uh, I don't know how you feel about joy, but I kind of like joy. I want joy. In fact, not only do I want it for myself, I want you to experience joy as well. I want our church to experience joy. And so we're going to lean into it and talk about joy today. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, we want you to experience the joy of Jesus Christ so we're going to talk about joy together and so put joy and people together and what you get is just this neat beautiful thing I think what you really get is you get church you get church and as we think about joy together we think about this collective focus where we all come together and we're focused on one thing together all right this is a gimme question all right this is one of those it's like right in your lap you can give it back to me and here's your question Anybody want to guess who or what our collective focus should be upon as a church? Anybody? Jesus. Great answer. Great answer. Solid answer. That's exactly who we want to be focused upon as a church. Well, our collective focus normally stems from shared experiences And values. Uh, This past week, I spent uh, most of the week in Dallas. I was there for some church planter training, and I was helping with that. And it was good, and it was intense, and it was a lot of cool things. We were staying in a hotel. And I think on Thursday evening, we rolled in the hotel uh, early afternoon, and we noticed this group had gathered, and obviously they were going to be there for the weekend. It was kind of this reunion group, and we noticed this sign on the room that they were using that said RRR, uh, those three letters, and we knew it stood for something, but we couldn't see it because we were kind of in a hurry. These guys were in their late 50s into their 60s, and uh, they were having a good time, and so anyway, we came back later that night. We got back to the hotel um, about 11 o'clock, and we rolled through there, and I Saw about eight of them still going, you know, still going after it. They had knocked back a few by this point, just to be honest with you. Uh, but I'm like, I want to hang out with these guys for a few minutes, see who they are and what they're doing. And I'm like, hey, I noticed on your sign R R R. What does that stand for? Who are you? They said, oh, we're a group from the Air Force, and we were in the Air Force late 70s, early 80s. And I said, man, that's really cool. And I didn't have to say anything else. I just watched it all happen because I had open ears, and they had mouths that were moving. And they were telling story after story after story. Guess what their perspective was? Guess what their focus was? Forty years ago. They were telling story after story, detailed stories about their experiences in the Air Force. One of the guys, he kind of had a tick about him, and he kind of popped like that with his lips every time he talks. I'm I'm just entertained all the way around. And uh, they're going, well, this one guy, he's telling a story, and he throws out their Eglin Air Force Base Well, when I was a kid, I got to experience Eglin Air Force Base, and so I said, I'm going to throw this out there and see what happens. I said, well, I was about seven, eight, nine years old, I can't remember exactly when, somewhere around 1986, somewhere in there. I said, my dad had a really good friend that worked at Eglin Air Force Base, and he invited us over, and as a kid, you know, getting to see the planes and all the cool stuff, it was just amazing. He actually took us into a huge gargantuan hangar, which is where they put the planes, and we got to see the stealth bomber before the stealth bomber was ever public. And, you know, we had to swear to secrecy, you know, and one of those kind of deals. And and anyway, we got to see it, and I said, I'm pretty sure that it was like 1986 or right in there when I got to see this. Well, one of the guys with just authority said, well, you would have seen the B-1 bomber, not the stealth. I was there that year. And he went on to tell me every detail you could ever imagine about the B-1 bomber, how fast it could go and how the wings would move and all this kind of stuff. Another guy interrupts him and he says, you know, as a matter of fact, a lot of people didn't know it was there, but it was there. And I just watched them go after it. It was so great. It was so good. It was a highlight of my week just watching these guys go at it. Just reminiscing, giving their perspective, right? Again, kind of shared experience from 40 years and all these stories and all these things going on. Well, I'm sure that you have days that don't go well, right? Days where it just doesn't really go that well. I'm sure as a mature adult, you would never say anything like this. So I'm going to kind of stick my kids out there a little bit, throw them under the bus just a little bit, because every now and then, when they don't have a good day, they will say this. This is the worst day ever, right? Ever. Like, whoo. And in your head, you're thinking, man, if this is your worst day, you've had a really good life, right? A lot of people think that about us when we say that, too. Sometimes they'll follow it up because, you know, like mom or dad, we were responsible for it being the worst day ever. And they will follow it up, and they will actually say, you're the worst dad ever. And I just kind of chuckle to myself a little bit, and I laugh. And then I start asking them questions, I start asking them questions I already know the answer to, but I know in this moment their perspective is off and their focus is off. They think it's the worst day ever, and they think I'm the worst dad ever, and it's not true. So I kind of redirect them. I say, hey, is it true that mom and dad love you? Yeah. Do we feed you every day? Yeah. Are we ever, like, really mean to you to the point that we, like, you know, mistreat you? No, and I keep flowing with it until they start realizing, okay, this day is maybe not the worst day ever, and maybe, just maybe, I'm not the worst dad ever. Now, again, those are things kids do. We adults, we never get caught up in this whole, it's the worst day ever, you're the worst person ever. Our perspective and our focus always stays on really good things, and we're positive, and we're full of joy all the time, right? All right. It just so happens... The writer of the book of Philippians knew, because he was a human being too, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit that we could get off track and we could lose focus. So what we're going to see him do in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 1 is give us a series of questions. A series of questions that he already knows the answer to, And he is doing his best through these series of questions to remind you and I how good we've got it and how blessed we are knowing that we can get off track and we can lose focus. We can lose focus as individuals. We can lose focus as Christians, and we can lose focus as a church, and that doesn't need to happen. So look at Philippians chapter 2, verse number 1. If you need a Bible, you can find one in the seat in front of you underneath there. You could find it on page 984, and we'll also have it on the screen there for you. And so Paul is just doing his best to remind us of what we have. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Is there any encouragement... From belonging to Christ. Any comfort from his love. Any fellowship together in the spirit. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And he lays these four questions on them. For them to reminisce and to remember and to recalibrate and to refocus knowing that they have the same tendencies that any other human being has, they have the same tendencies that any other follower of Jesus has, sometimes we can really get focused in on the negative to the point that we miss what we're supposed to be all about and we forget the good things. In fact, over in chapter 4, I believe, uh, which we'll get to later, it just goes on and on again about the things we need to think about. Because if we start thinking about things that are negative, and things that are dragging us down. That's exactly where we're going to be. But he wants joy for them, so he's reminding them of the source of their joy. So I want to spend just a moment with you thinking about these questions, wrestling with these questions just a little bit. This first question we see here in chapter 2, verse 1, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Now, is there anyone in the room that just really appreciates likes, maybe even craves, I'll go with that word, encouragement in your life. Anybody? 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 Thank you for raising your hand. You did a great job raising your hand. You did a really great job. Here's what I figured out. It doesn't matter if you're the shyest person in the room or you're the loudest, you know, most flamboyant. Every single human being craves encouragement. We love to hear that we did a good job. We love to hear that we're on the right track. And he says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? I think we as believers would say, as we're sitting here right now in this moment, not in the midst maybe of a crazy circumstance that's causing us to forget, but as we remember, I think our answer would be yes, but let's talk about the yes and why the answer to this question is yes. When we belong to Christ, we are His And he is ours. This belonging is deep. It's a belonging that happens because of this thing called redemption. Redemption that takes place of him buying us out of the place that we were in and putting us in a completely different place. We used to belong, as unbelievers, we used to belong to sin. We used to belong to Satan. We used to belong to hell. But now, because of Jesus belonging to him, we belong to Jesus. We belong to heaven. We belong to righteousness. Now, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? The answer is absolutely yes. Now, because of his gift of faith through grace, our sins have been finally and forever forgiven. Let that wash over you for just a moment. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ by faith in what he has done for you, your sins have forever and finally been forgiven. You are clean according to Jesus. There's some encouragement in that, isn't there? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of stupid things in my life. I've done a lot of sinful things in my life. I've done a lot of things that have brought about destruction and pain and heartache in the lives of others. And because of Jesus and his work on the cross, He declares that I am forgiven. I'm forgiven. So I'm standing before you today as an imperfect, messed up person, but a forgiven person who is right with God. And if you know Jesus, you stand here the same way as well. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Absolutely. Think about who Jesus is for just a moment. Don't forget who Jesus is. He's the one that left heaven to live here on earth, To die on the cross to pay for our sins. But don't forget this part. He came back from the dead. That's who we belong to. We belong to a champion. We belong to a conqueror. We belong to someone who is large, who is alive, and who is in charge. And his name is Jesus. This next question. Any comfort from his love? I think it's really incredible to be loved by anyone. It's really incredible to be loved by someone who really, really knows you. Because I think all of us probably can present ourselves as lovable for a certain amount of time, right? But at some point, we run out of being lovable, don't we? We just, we just run out. God knows everything about you. Everything about you. All the good things that you did that nobody ever noticed, and all the bad things that you did that you think nobody noticed, He knows everything about you. And he says, I love you fully and completely and eternally. There is nothing that you can do to cause me, God says, to stop loving you. Is there any comfort from his love? You can't find the end of it. You can't find the top of it or the side of it or the bottom of it or the end of it. His love is never ending. Is there any comfort from his love? This next he poses this question: Any fellowship together in the Spirit? We think about fellowship, and I think all of us have this general idea, and it's an okay idea. You know, we think about maybe, you know, sharing a meal together or a common experience together, and that's one form of fellowship. But we're talking about biblical fellowship here. Is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? If you've been tracking with us in the book of Philippians, we've talked so much about the gospel and how that we as believers are partners together for the gospel. This is the type of fellowship that we're talking about, that we are connected because of the gospel and we have purpose because of the gospel and the fellowship that we share is a gospel fellowship. It's what we have and it's what we give and it only happens through the Spirit of God. This is not something natural, this is something supernatural. Notice that it says it happens in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. You and I are connected at a soul level because of the Holy Spirit of God. We come together because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we go forth in the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We come together as the church because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We plant churches because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We share the good news because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We are partnered together. We have fellowship together in the Spirit. It's a supernatural work of God. In this last question, hmm, pretty good question. Are your hearts tender? And compassionate. I don't know if your answer to that question is yes. Or that question, you know, your answer is I don't know. Or I don't think so. Or maybe your answer is just no. Here's what I would tell you. If you are fully focused on the truth of what we are reading right now, which is the truth of God, and you are standing in the encouragement from belonging to Christ, and you are comforted by his love, and you are partnered together with fellowship in the Spirit for the gospel's sake, I would say that your heart is tender and compassionate. When my heart is hard and I don't care about others, it's when I've forgotten who I am in Jesus. So this morning, just maybe, some of you need to be reminded of who you are in Christ. Church, this is who we are in Christ this is not who we are because we're good people. This is not who we are because we come to a place. This is who we are because we belong to Jesus. Look on to Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 2. Paul says this, then make me truly happy. Some translations render this, fulfill my joy. And this is the essence of everything he's talking about, it's joy rejoicing in Jesus, rejoicing of what Jesus is doing in others. And he speaks to the church and he says, man, like make me happy to another level. Increase my joy. And he says, here's how you do it. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. There's a lot of stuff we could disagree on. Am I correct? In fact, I could just, you know, come up with a couple subjects. You can just toss them out there, and man, just like those old boys that were hanging out, arguing about whether I saw the stealth bomber or not, right? I could have us just having some serious debate and discussions in a heartbeat if I just tossed it at you. But my job this morning is not to divide. My job this morning is to unite, and there's only one way I can unite this church. There's only one way you can unite this church, and that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. This is the theme over and over again. We are agreeing on the gospel. We agree that Jesus is who he said he was. We agree that Jesus did what he said he did. That includes him dying on the cross and him coming back from the dead. That is what we agree wholeheartedly with each other. Okay, that is where we are. That's how we can worship together. That's how we can serve together. That's how we can go together. That's why we give together. We agree on Jesus. And it goes on here to say working together with one mind and purpose. I want you to write this down. Here's just the big idea of today, and that is this. We experience joy together when we, notice that word we, you might want to circle that one big time, when we focus on the gospel of Jesus. Church, if you want to experience joy together, it happens when we experience joy together, when we focus on the gospel of Jesus. The moment you or I get our focus off the gospel of Jesus, everything begins to crumble. Everything begins to fall apart. This needs to be the, the theme of our homes. This needs to be the theme of our marriages. This needs to be the theme of our parenting. This needs to be the theme of our lives. It also needs to be the theme of our church, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what brings us together. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Back up just a little bit. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Philippians 1 and verse 27. This is above all, okay just above everything else, you who the church must live as citizens of heaven. we belong to heaven now, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, look at this, I will know that you are standing together with one Spirit, and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the what? The good news. We don't fight each other. We fight together for the good news. Look down now to Philippians chapter 3, verse 15 and verse 16. Philippians chapter 3 in verse 15 and 16. And I'll tell you that I've been waiting to get to this point Um, in this series because this is something that's been heavy on my heart. Philippians chapter 3, verse 15 and verse 16. It says, let all who are spiritually mature. Those are two big words, aren't they? Spiritually mature. I don't know what you think about when you think about spiritually mature. I think a lot of times we think, well, it's somebody that's like known Jesus for 40 years and they got all the answers, right? Read on as to what it says. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. What things would they be agreeing upon? All the things that are written in the book of Philippians. The gospel over and over and over again. The gospel, that we are partners in the gospel. In chapter 3, he declares that Christ is above and more important than anything. He says, if you're spiritually mature, agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, he says, I believe God will make it plain to you. And so today, I'm believing with all of my heart that if maybe your focus is to the left or to the right of Jesus this morning as a part of our church, that God's going to use His power and His Spirit, not this sermon, but His Spirit, to get you refocused on Jesus, and that refocusing on Jesus will change you deeper and greater than you could ever even imagine. A lot of times, we think maturity is time spent in life. But I'm here to tell you, spiritually speaking, biblically speaking, spiritual maturity happens with time spent with Jesus. So here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that God will bring about a spiritual maturity in our church In a time frame that only he can bring. A supernatural way. If it's you got to know Jesus for 40 years and have all the answers to be spiritually mature, some of us have got a really, really long ways to go. What about those that maybe have known Jesus for 40 years and they haven't become spiritually mature yet? How does this work? What if you've only known Jesus for a few months? You become spiritually mature when you spend time with Jesus. Right now, in this moment, we are spending time with Jesus, and I believe that he has the ability and the desire to supernaturally mature you to the point that you focus on him above everything else, and when that happens, I'm telling you, church, great things happen. Write these three words down. Maturity, unity, and humility. Maturity, unity, and humility. I believe with all my heart that all three of these jump in the same car and they ride together everywhere they go. Maturity, unity, and humility. Look back to Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 3 as Paul continues to instruct us. I'll just go ahead and tell you, verse number 3 may uh, kind of get you where you are. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Verse 4, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Again, humility and maturity and unity, they go together. They go together. If we are going to mature in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to have to humble us. In Jesus. Um, Now, for some of you that were born humble, praise God for you. For the rest of us in the room, it is an act of the Spirit of God when we are humble. Amen? If you see humility in me, you are not seeing a good guy named Kyle, you are seeing a God named Holy Spirit. But He's powerful enough to take a cocky, prideful, arrogant person like me and actually produce humility. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. He can work that miracle in me. He can work that miracle in you. That miracle of humility is tied to maturity, which is focused on Jesus. And when we are humble and we are maturing and we are coming together in the name of Jesus, a unity takes place that is beautiful and that the world will take note of. It will take note of. So as we think about humility, setting aside our pride, and verse 3 and verse 4, I've got some questions to ask you. If you're like me, you may not like the answers to them, but we're going to pose them. As we think through our humility and or lack thereof. Here it goes. Am I competing for people's attention and approval? If the answer to this question is yeah and or some of the time or yeah, that's me or You're recognizing some pride in your life. I'm recognizing some pride in my life that the Spirit of God needs to do away with, and only the Spirit of God can do away with. Next question Do I find it difficult or easy to rejoice in the success of others? Do I find it difficult or easy to rejoice? In the success of others. Notice that word, rejoice. If you've been catching on, like joy and rejoicing, they run together. A lot of us kind of approach this whole thing of joys. Yeah, I want mine. No, this is not about me just having mine. This is about everybody else having it too. And when somebody else wins for the cause of Christ, guess what? We win too. And we should celebrate that. When somebody moves forward in life, even if it's not you know the most spiritual you know, thing, maybe they didn't win somebody to Jesus, but maybe they just took a step forward in life and God blessed them in that moment. Rejoicing with them is a godly thing to do. Do I find it difficult or easy to rejoice in the success of others? Next question, do I think I am superior to other people? You may be thinking, that's not a fair question. That, no way. There are times that we set ourselves in a room. We think, well, I make more money than they do. I eat my food better than they do. I go to better places than they do. I drive better than they do. I live better than they do. You know, we ignore all the other people that do all those things better than us, but we find the people that do it less than we do, right? You know what I'm saying? And the next thing you know, we feel like we're better than they are and we're superior to other people. It's a very unholy place to be. It's a very unholy place to be. Church, let me tell you something with all my being. I love knowing that I can invite anyone and you can invite anyone to this church and they can walk into this gathering and they will be treated with dignity and respect and the kindness of Jesus. It is so huge. It is so huge. Let us not lose that. But may we carry it out of this place into our homes and into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces and not think that we are superior to other people. It's by chance that you work with some people that have some really dirty mouths, right? And if you're not careful, the next thing you know, you think that you are holier than they are because you don't say bad words. Let me tell you something. Your holiness is not because you don't speak bad words. Your holiness is because of Christ, and the only way that you have Christ is the only way that they can have Christ, and it's Him moving in us by faith. Listen, don't think of yourselves as superior to other people. Next question. How much do I think about myself? I'll go ahead and give you my answer. Too much. This is huge. Don't miss this. If you will realize how much God thinks about you and how he thinks about you, You can stand and walk through life not thinking about yourself because you know how God thinks about you. There is never a moment, I messed this up with grammar in the first one, I'm going to mess it up with grammar in the second one. There is never not a moment that God is not thinking about you. Here's what I said, God's always thinking about you. He is always thinking, there's always thinking about you. Not a second passes where God says, ah, forget about them for a second. He's always thinking about you. And in his thinking about you, he knows everything about you. And guess what he places on you? Value. Guess how much value he places on you? The value of his one and only son. That's the value he places on you. And the sooner I figure that out and you figure that out, the less we will think about ourselves because we know that God is always thinking about us. And we will realize who we are in him, and then we can think about others in the way that we should. Know that God is always thinking about you. Again, we experience joy together when we focus on the gospel of Jesus. So check out verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I mean, I know you thought I was going to read, hey, have Kyle's attitude and we'll all get there. Right, that's what you were expecting, right? Like, be like me. You must have the attitude of who? Christ Jesus, verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Don't miss what was just said. He was God, and yet he did not go through life with entitlement. We are not God, (laughs) and we think people are supposed to treat us like God. He was God, and he chose not to have that entitlement mentality about him. I know it has blew some of your minds. You just heard for the first time that you're not God. Like, you, whoa, wait a minute. Yet he is God. He loves you, and he's thinking about you. Read on. Verse 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I want you to pause for just a moment and think quickly. Linger as long as you want to on the cruel, cruel death that Jesus experienced on the cross. And it wasn't for show. It was for you. It was for you. He wasn't there to impress anybody. He was there to save everyone. And he died that death on the cross. Verse 9. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue that confess, excuse me, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christians, let me ask you a question. Do you want people to bow now or to bow later? When I say people, I'm talking about your family, your friends, my friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Do you want those people to bow now or to bow later. We understand the implications of the difference of the two, right? Like if they bow now, they experience salvation and forgiveness, and their eternal destination is forever changed. And their life is forever changed. If they bow later, they will do what is required of them, but their eternal destination will be separation from God. Do you want people to bow now, or do you want people to bow later? I don't know about you. I want people to bow now. That is the reason why, as one of your pastors, I am consumed with us staying focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, all that really matters is whether people are going to heaven or they're going to hell. And there's only one way to go to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. And our job is to help them find Him and then follow Him every day of their life. Everything else doesn't matter. That is why we are here. That's what we have to be focused upon. And when those moments happen, man, they're sweet. This past week, um, I'm leading one of our Disciples Path groups, and it's a joy, and um, we met again this past Monday morning, 6 a.m., and um, one of the people in our group uh, would have been easy, I guess, because of their own um, words and everything else, you know, just to assume that they knew the Lord as their Savior, and I took time in our group just to say, I know all of you, because I know all my group really really well, but I just said, I don't want to assume anything. And, like, if you miss Jesus, the rest of this stuff doesn't matter. Like, if, if faith and forgiveness hasn't happened in your life, like, it doesn't matter how good you are. All that stuff's just irrelevant. And so we talked about the gospel and our, and our teachings that we're going through talk about the gospel. Well, there was a person in our group that Monday morning shared with us that they are so glad that we didn't assume anything because a person that we thought, assumed, knew the Lord, didn't know the Lord, but last week, as a result of hearing the gospel very explicitly, placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Man, that was a moment. you talking about together. Yeah, you can celebrate that. you talking about feeling united, joy. That person's eternal destination forever changed. That person's sins finally forgiven. That was the conclusion they came to is, I've, I've believed, but I've never received, and I've never experienced the forgiveness of sin. And that person is walking on cloud nine right now in joy because their sins have been forgiven. Man, when those moments happen, they're incredible. Church, this is the reason why we have to come together in humility and maturity. And when I say maturity, I don't mean you have to be saved for 40 years. And if you've been saved for 40 years, praise God for you. I'm not knocking the longevity But we must make sure that we are mature. And according to the word of God, if we're spiritually mature, young, old, following Jesus for a little bit of time or a lot of time, if we are spiritually mature, our eyes are on who? Jesus, because he is the author and finisher of our faith. And as we as maturing believers keep our eyes on Jesus with humility, we experience unity, and we experience, experience a joy that other people are drawn to experience. And I say to you, more people will bow now if we as a church are maturing and, hum- and humble and are united. People are going to see this joy and they're going to want to experience it. Again, we experience joy together when we focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So church, let me just ask you, are we focused on the gospel Individually, are you focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's why we're here. We're here to help people find and follow Jesus. It's why we give, it's why we serve, it's why we go, it's why we do what we do, Jesus. Now, let me ask you another question to every single person in the room Do you have joy? Do you have joy? I didn't ask if life's going good. I didn't ask if everything's working out the way you hoped it would. Because I'm here to tell you, talk to your neighbor, they'll tell you it's not working out the way they thought it would either. And it's very likely somebody in this room has got a way harder circumstance. As hard as yours is, There's very likely somebody else in the room has got one that's way, way harder. My question wasn't that. My question is, do you have joy? Here's what most of us in this room have figured out. Joy can only be found in Jesus Christ. Joy can only be found in knowing that all of our sin has been forgiven. Joy can only be found in knowing that when this life is over, Jesus is going to make everything right. Joy can only be found in knowing that one of these days we're going to spend eternity forever in perfection with Jesus. And it comes when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives us this beautiful thing called grace and he forgives us and cleanses us and makes us his own. Do you have joy? Therefore do you have Jesus? And if you do, celebrate who he is and enjoy him. If you don't, we invite him to we invite you to him today. Let's pray.